Autoimmune conditions are complex disease states where inflammatory and immune dysregulation overwhelm numerous regulatory systems. Their development and severity are often influenced by a legion of factors including genetics, immune dysregulation and infections, intestinal hyperpermeability, dysbiosis and toxicity, nutritional deficiencies and stress. Bioceuticals is proud to present the Reprogramming Autoimmunity Seminar Series in November 2016. The aim of this seminar is to delve deep into the known imbalances seen in autoimmune diseases and to learn the modern integrative treatments which can improve the health of patients suffering autoimmune-related illness. You will leave this seminar confident in assessing the complex imbalances seen in various autoimmune disorders, prescribing safe herbal and nutritional medicines to combat immune imbalances, and recommending effective nutritional and lifestyle interventions for the management of autoimmune disease symptoms. Your presenter, Belinda Reynolds, is a dietitian and senior educator for Bioceuticals who has shared her wealth of knowledge across Australia and New Zealand. Join Belinda at this half-day seminar throughout November 2016 to learn more about the evidence-based approaches for rebalancing immune dysregulation and how to enable your patients to enjoy a more fruitful life. Register now for this important education event at bioceuticals.com.au slash education slash events. This is FX Medicine and I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook and joining me in the studio today is none other than Belinda Reynolds who's a dietitian with over 15 years experience in the integrative medicine industry. She's an acclaimed senior educator with Bioceuticals who regularly presents to audiences throughout Australia and New Zealand and is known for her practical and easy style bringing complex biochemical processes into easily digestible formats with practical clinical applications. And she's a great mother and educator. Welcome, Belle. Thank you for having me. Belinda, today we're going to be talking about a bit of an uncomfortable subject, and that's postnatal issues with mood. Mm -hmm. Now, I think we need to start with maybe a difference first between what is the difference between postnatal depression and just having some baby blues? Yeah, so it's it's generally it's considered that the baby blues last for around two weeks following the birth of your baby and that can include uh, being quite teary, feeling very vulnerable, uh, being exhausted of course, which then leads further to the teariness mm. and <laughs> the feeling like you're struggling to, to cope at times. Uh, but then when it comes into the more serious postpartum anxiety and depression, that's when you have a situation where these uh, feelings are lasting longer than two weeks and they begin to interfere truly with your quality of life and can even impact your ability to bond with your baby. Uh, at times women can lose interest in the baby, which can then 
compound uh, the feelings and mm. uh, the anxiety and the the guilt that they have around the entire situation. It can impact relationships. It can severely impact health. Uh, so uh, it's definitely important that when women are recognising that they have these persistent feelings, that they do seek help because there is things that you can do and there are ways to come out of that black hole that you may feel that you're in. I, I think the the biggest issue here is the pressure that women put on women. And, it, you know, we could, we'd like to blame the media and things like that, but it really is women <laughs> putting the pressure on other women. And it's to this utopian pregnancy and childbirth and comparison. I wonder where this anxiety stems from, you know, about their own performance. Mm. But how do we address this? What What should we be doing? Oh, look, I think it, it's a... It's a really big issue. Uh, I'm not a psychologist. Um, uh, I understand the the complexities of the human body to a certain degree um, to sort of know what different things can contribute to a greater difficulty at coping with challenges. Uh, And so I think that there's a number of things that need to be addressed. I think what you said is very accurate and that uh, social media can play a huge role Mm. in just adding to the pressure that women are already putting on themselves. Uh, I think that uh, social media can definitely play a great role in helping women who may be feeling isolated at home. It helps them feel connected to the outside world. I know that... uh, Five and a half years ago, and I was—I first had um, my first child, and I was at home, and I was used to being at work, mm. socialising with other other adults. Uh, suddenly, being at home, it it did feel a little bit isolating, isolating, and therefore, social media was a great way for me to feel like I was in more contact with people that I, I loved and wasn't being able to see as much as I wanted to. Uh, but it's changed over the years, mm. and it's become a place where people are really quite awful to each other at times. There are definitely forums and areas where people do try and lift each other up, but it does seem to be sort of the uh, the balance is tilting and or shifting towards a lot of negativity. And I think uh, when a woman is at home already feeling... Um, not worthy or yeah, incompetent, yeah, yeah. inadequate as a parent. And, she's and it already, is a whole new occupation. It is. It is. And there's no training. To which there's no guidelines. <laughs> and, yeah, so then they jump online and happen to stumble across something and then suddenly they're being, um, they're having all of these people make all of these comments about what it is that possibly they are doing and are criticising it and then making them feel awful. And yeah. the thing is, is that no matter what you're doing, there will be someone who thinks it's not right. Yes. There'll also be someone who agrees with you yeah, and that's... thinks you're doing the right thing. But <laughs> when you're in that mindset of already doubting what you're doing and whether it's right, uh, I think it can send you on a on a bit of a downward spiral. And I don't think that is the only problem, but it definitely does contribute to a lot of the the Mm. mood issues and the anxiety because uh, what happens 
as a result of having a child. So the entire course of the pregnancy and then if you add in breastfeeding and then also the sleep deprivation, Mm. there's a lot of a nutritional drain on the body. And we have to remember that our brain relies on all of these nutrients in order to continue to function properly and for our hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis to continue to be regulated. And when you have this nutritional depletion combined with this sleeplessness, combined with these pressures, and then that constant bombardment of negative Mm -hmm. messages, um, it all contributes to a bigger problem than, say, it might have been before. I think I remember somebody saying that on a good day, we need around about 20% of what we put into our mouths to feed our brains. Mm. And if that's a bad day, that increases and we still have those nutritional demands for the rest of the body. So (laughs) so this is really bad. Um, But I also make the point about you know, with regards to support mechanisms, mm-hmm. about family, mm-hmm. having your mum to, to say, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> what, what astounds me, though, is the, the health sector. We have antenatal classes. Every hospital has antenatal classes. Name one that has postnatal classes before it's due. Yeah, and it's <laughs> it's funny as well because no one really warns you for the aftermath. No one having warned a- you. I have never known any pregnant woman to say, oh, yes, they warned me that I would be tearing my hair out, want to throw the baby <laughs> across the room, that I'd feel inadequate, I'd feel unloved, unlovely. Mm-hmm. Um, I would not feel like a woman. I'd feel like a milk machine. Yep. That nobody prepares them for this. I've not. Please, if somebody out there knows of a hospital that takes them through and prepares them adequately for after that baby's born, please let us know on fxmedicine.com.au. <laughs> I'd love to know. Yeah, because I, I think it, it's a, there's so many issues that can contribute. Uh, I mean, when we look at the risks of postnatal depression and postnatal anxiety, uh The risk factors include previous history of of mental Mm. illness, of Mm. course, that would likely predispose you to it. That lack of support that you mentioned. Social support. um, Isolation, but then also certain nutritional deficiencies have also been linked as well. So I think if if you're, you're lacking support, if you're tired, if you've previously had mood disorder problems. And then if you add to that the nutritional deficiencies, which are compromising your neuroplasticity and the synthesis of all your mood-lifting neurotransmitters to help you cope through this period of huge demand, that's when you are at risk of uh, experiencing these significant mood changes, which can really impact your quality of life. And I think we also need to remember too that there's a lot of pressures that are put on the father uh, post natal depression is believed to affect one in 10 new fathers and they're the ones wow. that have uh, sought out help or actually reported that they're ah, experiencing And many it. men won't. Mm-hmm. And so I think that they also become sleep deprived yeah. and they're at a loss sometimes as to how they're able to support their partner who's going through what they're going through. Uh, and so I think we need to also consider them mm. as well. We need them to be well too, just as much as we need the, the mum to be. So notwithstanding the, the many resources that people can access, things like Beyond Blue, mm-hmm. Black Dog Institute, um, Head Start, Mood Gym, um, they should all be seeking 
help if they feel that it's gone longer than just a few days of baby blues, and certainly if it's impinging their bonding to their baby and affecting their, their relationship with their baby and their husband. Notwithstanding those psychological support um, institutions that are out there, mm-hmm. um, nutritionally, what should we be doing to ensure that we have the best foundations to support somebody through that that horrible time? And the other things that, that we need to be talking about are, are practical things that um, couples can do to help reduce that tension and so give them the best head start. Mm-hmm. So, sorry, nutrition first. Sure, okay. We'll t- start with nutrition. So, uh, when you look at uh, the, the research that is around where they uh, look at the certain nutritional deficiencies which have been associated with a greater risk of developing depression. There's mm-hmm. a few different nutrients there. Mm. So iron deficiency yeah. is a key one, uh, certainly to uh, depletion of the B vitamins which support methylation and neurotransmitter synthesis, so your vitamin B6, folate, B12, uh, lower levels of those, uh, vitamin D, as well, uh, essential fatty acids, uh, particularly EPA, seems to be uh very important. And we also know uh, that uh, have dysbiosis and a lack of um, gut health can contribute uh, as well. When you have a- an imbalance of bacteria in the gut, when you have compromised gut integrity, you get a greater passage of uh, LPS or lipopolysaccharides, endotoxins yep. passing into the body, a greater level of inflammation in the body. That then results in neuroinflammatory type issues when you're depleted in your essential fatty acids and all of your other nutrients that work to protect your brain from that inflammation and help to uh, even regrow new healthy neurons. (laughs) Yes, that all will slowly contribute to a decline in the health of our brain. Mm -hmm. And that is why it's so important that during a pregnancy, we maintain that uh, nutrient-rich diet, that we're maintaining the microbiome, the health of the microbiome, uh, that we're consuming good amounts of essential fatty acids, good amounts of B vitamins, zinc and magnesium is very important. Ensuring healthy iron status, especially because there will be that blood loss during the labour. Mm-hmm. It's really important that we're not entering labour already, already iron, iron deficient because yeah. uh, it will only be exacerbated by that uh, and then, of course, contribute to the fatigue as well. Uh, but it's also incredibly important that we maintain that healthy diet throughout breastfeeding because breastfeeding places a huge demand mm. on the, the body of the the new mother and it's very beneficial for her body as well. There's a lot of research to suggest that uh, there's a reduced risk of certain disease states that um, are associated with having breastfed uh, but it certainly does place nutritional demands on the body and I think one other side issue is when women are put under this pressure, whether it be by society, social media, or just simply themselves, themselves yeah. um, to lose the baby weight. And then suddenly you have people looking to restrict their calorie intake in this effort to lose their baby weight. But as a result, they're completely depleting mm. their body and their brains of their, and their nourishment baby. and their baby <laughs> of um yeah, they're depleting their, their body and brains and, and potentially the child of the, the nourishment that mm. they so desperately need. And I, think, I think one of the worst scourges was the the there was a concept some, oh, gosh, it was probably two decades ago now, about if you wanted to lose baby fat, you know, you had to be careful. 
Um, but th- they were talking about a low-fat diet, and it was like, never <laughs> would I look at a low-fat diet for mm. a, a, a new mother. No, definitely not. Who's breastfeeding, yeah. Because, and because the baby's brain is growing at such a rapid rate during those early months of breastfeeding, there's a lot of essential fatty acids mm. which are put into that breast milk. Mm. Um, it's one of the key components of breast milk. Lipids. Including saturated fat. Yes. So, and it's such an important uh, nutrient mm. for us to uh, consume as part of the diet in order to really maintain health. And what uh, women should be doing during pregnancy and, and post-pregnancy is thinking about nourishing themselves. Uh, it's and the, the not only for the health of the fetus and for the health of your child, but for the health of yourself. Mm, later on. Yes. It's like a preparation phase. Yeah. So I think the only fat that I'd be looking at to decrease would be trans fat. Yes. Um, the bad ones. Yeah. So still look at the, the oily fish, avocado, virgin olive oil, uh, coconut oils, uh, eggs, uh, grass-fed beef, those type of um, beneficial fats that really do support the, the structure and function of our central nervous system. What about the issue with iron? It's the only mineral that I'm extremely cautious of mm-hmm. about giving too much of. Should women be having a, a, a screening blood test to see if they're anemic? Um, and if they're not anemic, what amount of iron should they withhold from, if you like? You know, you're getting some of these quote-unquote pharmacy-only multis and uh, pregnancy multis, and, and they've got, I think it was 20 or 30 milligrams of iron. Mm. Um, what dose of iron do they need, and, and what dose do we sort of have to raise questions about getting too much? I, I seem to recall some dim, dark... Oh, gosh, old paper about blood viscosity, if you have too much iron. Yeah, I also, I think, and that was contributing to the increased risk of uh, preeclampsia. Mm, was that that one? Yeah, something yeah. like that. Um, so I don't know if I can give an accurate response to that question. I think you're absolutely right. There is concerns around too much iron, as with most nutrients, uh, too much mm. isn't necessarily better or more yeah. isn't necessarily better. Yeah. Uh, there definitely is an increased need for iron during the pregnancy, uh, but it would certainly be determined by the uh, consumption of iron-rich foods in the diet. So the poorer the diet, the greater the likelihood that they would need uh, or benefit from a supplement. Uh, I think generally when women do find out that they are pregnant, they do undergo blood tests which determine uh their iron status, uh, folate, B12. Um, they're also screened for things such as HIV uh, and vitamin D is becoming more common as a standard test. Uh, I know in my first pregnancy it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, in the second pregnancy they did it as yeah. a, a standard yeah. It's taken uh, off being a, a screening test now, vitamin D, since November 2014, but... Um, it, for those people at risk of vitamin D deficiency, then they, a doctor is quite within their rights to test mm-hmm. for it. Yeah, yeah. so I, th- I think it's definitely the, the screening is important and then based on where they're at, then the need for supplementation needs to be considered from that result. Uh, I mean, definitely there is an increase in blood volume, so there's an increase in need for iron. Mm. Uh, but I think sometimes the, the super high doses probably aren't necessary, maybe 5 to 10 milligrams might be a more ideal dosage or even up to 20, uh, but it's very much a, an individual yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. So I think for our listeners, I, I would I would definitely urge them to check that 
iron issue out and see what the current guidelines are or the current research where, where that's at. And also consider the, the form of iron. I know a lot of women are prescribed uh, a ferrous fumarate type supplement at times. Or ferrous sulfate if they're Or anemic. ferrous sulfate. Yeah. And uh, what can happen is that they develop constipation and other gastrointestinal upsets as a result of it and they end up just stopping taking it altogether. Yeah, well, they're going to get um, constipated in pregnancy ideal. anyway. That's the, <laughs> they don't want anything that worsens that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, look, and definitely um, main preventing that inflammation in the body uh, during the pregnancy is, is very important and that's where good high doses of EPA uh, but then also a, a natural anti-inflammatory type diet is very much important in order to uh, protect the brain from the damage that inflammation can cause, which will make all of the difficult situations that they'll be faced with during those early months of parenthood yeah. all that more difficult. You mentioned fish oils, mm-hmm. um, and there was some negative research which uh, Maria McCready's and her domino group did with regards to postnatal depression using DHA alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and forgive me, they may have actually, they may have actually had one where they had majorly DHA and a small amount of EPA. I might have that wrong, but certainly the results that came out was that DHA failed in preventing postnatal depression. But there seems to be some positive research with regards to either fish oil containing both or just EPA alone. Is that right? Yeah. So it does seem that then because they're now considering depression to be more of a neuroinflammatory type condition, uh, the anti-inflammatory benefits of EPA do seem to be superior to DHA in uh, in uh, depression prevention and treatment. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I think it may differ from person to person based yep. on their diet and what may be lacking more. But I think EPA definitely does seem to be the standout in terms of uh, depression management and and prevention. Uh, some studies not specifically done in postnatal depression, but in depression in general, uh, used doses of around 1,000 milligrams of EPA uh, and showed some quite positive results that were equivalent to the results that they were achieving using an SSRI. Mm. There was a new study just the other day, actually. I I got alerted to it. I haven't read the study yet. I just saw the title and I went, another one touting Mm. um, EPA. Um, And certainly fish um, for its other nutrients. You know, we should certainly be... um, Advocating the use of of, of fish as a, a total nutrient package, yes. <laughs> for not just fatty acids but protein and yes. other nutrients. Um, one of the issues I have is with food. When you know we're we're since what was it January two thousand and ten, the National Health and Medical Research Council set out guidelines for all pregnant women should be receiving a supplement. This is the first time a supplement has been advocated to public health. Um, for all pregnant women should be getting a supplement of 150 micrograms, despite the fact that we are now fortifying our food with iodine. And the reason is because the amount of iodine that is in the food, in the bread, does not have enough in it to take care of the shortfall that's experienced in pregnancy. So unlike folic acid, which is just food fortification, this is the first time that a supplement has been advocated to help pregnant women. And the reason is because of the work of Creswell um, Eastman and others um, finding out that children had high TSH levels. In other words, enough iodine deficiency to make the body spark up and go, what the heck's happening? Mm. A huge public health issue throughout Australia 
Um, I think it was mainly the eastern states or something. My issue, though, is with food. We give, you know, we've got B vitamins fortified into our bread, but only because we took those vitamins out when we milled the meal, <laughs> the meal in the first. There's certain questions about wheat, mm-hmm. um, and I'm not advocating that it, we should all withhold wheat. That's not my thing. But there are certain populations which Definitely. may have an adverse reaction to yes. wheat, and it's not just celiacs. Yes. That remains to be investigated or, or, or fully elucidated. And I think um, people often think they say I'm on a gluten-free diet and I'm avoiding wheat. Mm. Uh, and so they have this impression that I'm invo- avoiding wheat to avoid the gluten. But there's so many other things or there's a few other things mm. in wheat that could potentially be what is causing them the yeah. side effects. So yeah. there's fructans in wheat, for example, yeah. uh, which someone who ideally should be on a low FODMAP diet, say, mm. for example, mm. um, would be potentially responding to negatively. So, And then often when we look at the way bread is made these days, uh, there's a lot more undigested gluten in there than what there would have been many years ago. We're adding extra gluten in. Mm. Uh, we're changing the milling process of the wheat and the bread isn't being, the dough isn't being left there uh, overnight to allow the yeast to On break down. On the village down. square. Yeah, it's sort of, it's a two-hour process. <laughs> it's, a, it's a cloud in a crust these days, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So Crazy. it's, I think, Bigger than just the gluten in wheat being a problem. It's mm. more what we've done mm. to it in processing and in producing the bread, um, but it's also potentially other components in, in the wheat. But I definitely recommend that if someone does have a lot of inflammatory type issues going on, autoimmune conditions, even if it is uh, depression and issues with cognition, learning memory, foggy-headedness, a lot of bloating and other digestive disturbances, uh, it certainly isn't um, a bad thing to attempt to remove over-processed wheat products from the diet for a period of time uh, and and see if, it, if you do get uh, some benefits. Uh, the important thing, though, is to not replace those wheat products with gluten-free biscuits <laughs> and cake, <laughs> which a lot of people, I uh, think, uh, are at risk of doing. They sort of go to the health food aisle and they see gluten-free yeah. products. And it's a marketing term. Yeah. Yes, there's this belief that gluten-free means healthy, which it does not. Uh, you need to be replacing those over-processed wheat products with natural uh uh, plant-based yep. foods, which yep. will really be contributing positively to your health. So, for instance, chickpeas. Yes. <laughs> I'm, so, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm just a fan of chickpeas, <laughs> the most underrated food out. <laughs> can make biscuits um, with Yeah, chickpeas. underrated protein source. I love chickpeas. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I think... Seeing as we're talking about maternal issues, mm-hmm. you know, pregnant women have got to be especially mindful of just simply avoiding wheat, you know, the new the nutrition that is in the cereal grains. Um, I know the controversy. I just think it's important that they should be mindful to replace those with other healthful yes, sources of absolutely. these um, crucial vitamins for the for the baby. And I think that's an important point to make for our listeners. Mm-hmm. So and what else can we do? Well, I think uh, a lot of women, interestingly, report feelings of anxiety when they're quite dehydrated as well. And I think during breastfeeding, dehydration oh. can become quite a significant issue. And it can also uh, contribute to a lack of milk supply. So Such I think... simple and, it, <laughs> and therefore put more stress on them because they're not quote-unquote performing. Wow. Mm, so I think hydration is key. Uh, yeah. 
great advice I actually received from my sister when I was about to have my first child was make sure every time you're about to breastfeed, put a big bottle or cup of water next to you and just sip it throughout the period. Yes. And um, I found that really useful, especially because my first was born in the midst of a hot summer. Um, But I think that is definitely very important. I think women, when you've just had a child, you feel so busy, you don't know where the day goes and you forget to eat what you should, you forget to drink what you should. And so there should definitely be a focus on water, uh, but also to making sure that you have in your fridge and cupboards healthy options to snack on that are nutrient-dense and are going to be fueling your body. It, It is really challenging if you have an unsettled child to find the time to chop up veggies and create oh. an Instagram-worthy meal. Absolutely. <laughs> so don't feel an the pressure. Instagram-worthy meal. <laughs> so don't feel the pressure to do that. Just make sure that you have uh, things that are easy to, to grab mm. and, and, and snack on um, so that you're maintaining that level of nourishment throughout the day. Uh, and I think, too, when going back to your question you asked about um, partners and how they can sort of... I guess nurture that relationship and and provide support. Um, The men need to also focus on nourishing themselves as well. Eat eat similarly. So Mm. focus on both of you staying well nourished uh, for uh, your mental health, but also your physical health. Of course, it's very hard to look after a child when you're you have a cold or a flu due to a poor diet and sleep deprivation. Uh, But I think couples also need to somehow set aside some time to have um, periods where they are a couple and not just parents. Crucial. Uh, I think you can get so caught up in new parenthood Mm. that um, you you forget that there's a marriage there as well. Um, And I think you do see it quite a lot and there's a slow separation between um, two people within a couple uh, and they start living just side by side yeah. rather than interacting um, and because lives are really busy now. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's very important that people do set aside that time to, even if it's just an hour where they sit together and have a special check dinner. In. Yeah. Just check yeah. In. And, yeah. And talk and uh, be open about what's concerning you and be open about uh, what support that you require uh, I think that can be be very important as well. And I think taking the time to exercise. So I'm not for new mothers. I'm not saying to necessarily go out and try and run a couple of kilometres yeah. when you've just given birth or had a cesarean section. Unless that's what you ordinarily do and, you know, and you're capable of it. Yeah, yeah. You know. So everyone has to gauge uh, what they're capable of. But definitely getting out in the sunshine, getting out in the fresh air, uh, moving the body, uh, Exercise itself has been shown to promote levels of uh, brain-derived neurotrophic factor Mm -hmm. or BDNF in the body. And what that protein is responsible for doing is providing protective and neurotrophic benefits for the brain in that it helps to protect brain cells and regrow new ones. Um, Yeah, yeah, in areas of the brain, uh, in sort of on... Sorry, BDNF is protective for the serotonergic neurons um, that exist in areas of the brain responsible for our emotions, our behaviour, our mood, our learning and also memory. So um, 
physical exercise can be really positive for the health of the mind and your ability to cope. And then, of course, not to mention the benefits of achieving some vitamin D from the sun. Uh, We know seasonal affective disorder, you have a greater, you've got that depression as a result of that reduced exposure to the sun. Uh, And I think cabin fever in itself, Mm. feeling Duck at home. It's uh, social isola- yeah, isolation. Yeah, that in itself. And then you jump on Facebook and everyone's criticising <laughs> what you've decided to do. And there's again, there's that downward spiral. So I think it's um, a matter of get, getting outside and removing yourself from anything that you find is negatively influencing your state of mind. Uh, and, yes, that, that physical activity, remaining connected to your partner, Asking for help when mm, you need it. Yep. I think that's a big thing. Uh, I think a lot of our parents can have a lot of guilt around if they are not connecting with their child or they're not enjoying this new parenthood, particularly if they've gone through the process of IVF or they've tried for a very long time to achieve this or to have this child. Mm. If you're not enjoying it, there's this guilt associated mm. with it uh, because you, you should be appreciating it and you should be loving it. Because everybody because, else is telling you. Should. Yes, yeah. because it, it is it is an incredibly beautiful and incredible and amazing time, but it's also an incredibly it's hard, hard one. <laughs> and so I think we, we get this cycle of guilt happening and um, I think they're all natural parts of it, but when we have good nourishment in our body, when we have a healthy brain and we have neurons that are functioning and we have all the building blocks of our neurotransmitters that can help keep our stress pathways under control and lift our mood and help us sleep better and and help us to recover better, I think that will all contribute to making the challenges of parenthood that little bit easier to, to manage. I, um, I remember two questions that had quite a high sensitivity and specificity um, versus uh, the more um, intricate questionnaires regarding anxiety and depression. And I think we're talking here, I've got the Beck rating scale, it's not that, it's not DAS, HamD. So there's the Hamilton Depression Rating Scale, and I think they had a high specification and sensitivity, sorry, specificity and sensitivity to the HamD rating scale. And that was two questions. One was based around guilt and one was based around enjoyment or a lack of. And it was really interesting that just if practitioners can investigate the two questions that you can ask your patients that might twig you to then investigate further if this person might be at risk of postnatal depression. Uh, uh, feelings of guilt and a lack of enjoyment. Mm-hmm. And I just think they're, yeah, they're two crucial things that you might go, hang on, <laughs> we, need to, we need to talk. Yeah. Um, and you might need to refer on. And I think too for, I think that's a pertinent point there that refer on to the relevant uh, specialist in, in that field. If they, they are suffering a, a mental illness, they need to see someone who is qualified to support yep. them and direct them in, in the right um, direction. But, and I think education is very important too. I think uh, women don't, well, not generally the population, don't understand the profound influence your diet and your nutritional status can have on your state of mind. People see the brain as a separate entity to the body. (laughs) They don't understand that if your body's not healthy, it's it's a lot more challenging for your brain and your mood to be. So, I mean, you you may find people who say, oh, I don't eat very well, but I feel fine. But how good could you feel? And yes, what will be happening down the track? Mm. And, um, you know, you really could be helping yourself support 
um, manage these uh, more challenging periods. And I think the other important point to mention too is that it is okay not to cope sometimes. Yeah. That That is normal. Yeah. It's more when there's that persistent yeah. uh, lack of enjoyment, uh, persistent guilt, persistent uh, desire to to get out of bed and and engage in life. That's when it's a real problem. You are exactly right. And I forgot that. I omitted that. These questions said um, over the past month. So there was Mm. a time limit to it as well. And I think that's a very pertinent question. So just in wrapping up, we've got looking after yourself nutritionally. We've got making sure you've got a good support network, making sure that you connect in with your partner looking at things like routines that you guys can rely on each other for. For instance, you know, the mother might look after the baby in the early hours of the evening, then get some sleep. The father might look after the baby in the later evening and then try and get some sleep. So there's this staggered effect where Mm -hmm. they're both getting at least some sort of adequate sleep. Adequate in quotation marks, I say. (laughs) I've never felt more tired in my life than when my kids were here. Um, We've gone through basic nutritional principles which adhere and what people should be looking at to avoid the bad fats. You know, if they're intolerant to wheat, then obviously avoid that, making sure that they get good dietary advice. Minerals, iodine. Iodine, iron, iron, uh, magnesium, uh, magnesium and zinc. Magnesium we know to be the great relaxer. Uh, Both magnesium and zinc uh, have beneficial influences on the brain. They promote uh, neuroplasticity and also brain protection of the brain. They can help with protecting against excitotoxicity, which can stem from chronic stress and also inflammation in the body. Uh, but also and then the, the B vitamins uh, as well are, are incredibly important. Vitamin D, uh, you mentioned the essential fatty acids. Uh, and there's a lot of anti-inflammatory compounds that exist in uh, a lot of our plant foods, which are very important as well. So turmeric is a great anti-inflammatory. Um, saffron, is been found to be particularly useful for uh, supporting the health of the brain. So, uh, yeah, it's generally what we need to do is not necessarily focus just on one particular nutrient. We need to ensure that there's a good level of all nutrients. Generally, you'll tend to find that if an individual is deficient in one particular nutrient, there tends to be a number of insufficiencies Mm -hmm. there are all stemming from a a poor diet. So, uh, yeah, definitely look to to broad spectrum type approaches unless there's a specific deficiency that has been noted. What I really liked about what you told, what you said before was you you explained to me how um, the act of exercising acts on a physical parameter of protecting your serotonergic nerves. And it, I love the way that you tie in a practical thing with a biochemical process and, and bring it back to why we do these sorts of things. You really explain our practice and you make them clear. Thank you so much, Bill, for joining us today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. This is FX Medicine and I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. This podcast was proudly brought to you by the Bioceutical Seminar Series, Reprogramming Autoimmunity. FX Medicine is your gateway to news, resources and information on the safe, evidence-based approach to practising complementary and integrative medicine. Visit fxmedicine.com.au to sign up for e-news and stay up to date with the latest research, podcasts and industry information.